0: Well good morning Edgewood. So good to be here today with you. Uh, A couple weeks ago when after I was preaching I had some people come up to me and say thanks so much for the shorter message. Now I can't promise today that it will be a shorter message because we have a lot to go through but when it comes to preaching God's Word I often ask people, and we as staff and leaders here ask people, what brought you to Edgewood? And most of the time, people say it's the preaching of the word of God. And when it comes to that, we're so encouraged by that to hear that, but sometimes I'm also baffled by that. And here's why. What do churches today offer people, if not the word of God, that the culture doesn't already offer them? Today, there's more access to counseling and therapy than ever before. You can have medications for anything that you need. There's more self-help books and seminars and webinars. There's more feel-good movies and shows today. There's more ways to connect with people online in order to find your tribe, your community of people to connect with. There's more people willing to affirm your lifestyle than ever before Yet here's the thing, people today are more anxious, depressed, and suicidal than ever before. So being a Christian doesn't necessarily free you from anxiety and depression, but at the same time, you're not alone. You have God, you have the church, your body of believers to come and worship with. But we preach the word of God here at Edgewood unapologetically, but the question I want to pose to you today is this, how seriously are we going to take the word of God? Because we don't just pick and choose scripture passages here for comfort or to make us feel better. We don't just ask questions like, what can God do for me? Why did God let this happen to me? What does this Bible verse mean to me? We need to move from a me-centered mentality and theology to a God-centered mentality and theology. And many people today, and even some of us here today, we have an awe problem. In his book, Awe, by Paul David Tripp, he says this, Where you look for awe will shape the direction of your life. Misplaced awe keeps us perennially dissatisfied. Perhaps in ways that you have never come close to considering, your dissatisfaction is an awe problem. So the restlessness that people feel, the longing for more, the feelings of unfulfillment, perhaps your loyalties are misplaced. But A.W. Tozer puts it well when he says this the knowledge of the holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we're going to begin in prayer, and then we're going to jump into Isaiah chapter 6. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how it informs us. God, help us to understand who you are based on this passage today not only who you are, but who we are as a result of that. God, I pray that we would open our minds and hearts to whatever it is you want to teach us from your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to share, and Lord, you'd meet every one of us where we are at today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So in Isaiah 6, it's a very theological passage, but it's also very practical for us. And so in honor of God's word today, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, and we're going to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 together. And it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. All right, you may have a seat. So four things we see from this passage today. Number one is God's glory. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time with this first point. After that, we see man's sinfulness. But as a result, we see God's mercy. And then lastly, man's response. So we see the progression that takes place here. and This vision that Isaiah had is similar to John's vision in Revelation 4. There's some similarities there. When he had a vision of heaven... But it begins by talking about this king, King Uzziah. Another name was used for him was Azariah. And he ruled in Judah. He began reigning at the age of 16. And he reigned for 52 years. Things for him started out strong like many kings in Israel, but they did not end well because of his disobedience. He ended up dying of leprosy. But this was an interesting time and an important time because this was a transition time. And so Isaiah is marking this time right here but at the same time that he had this vision from God. And so, number one, he witnesses God's glory. Now, glory here means weighty, it means heavy. Not only is he seeing it, but he's feeling it. It's palpable in the room with him. And the word for God here, he says, Lord means Adonai. Adonai is this name, the title for God, the sovereign one, the king supreme. And it says, the train of the robe filled the temple. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of kings and queens or videos, or maybe you've even seen a king or a queen in person, sometimes they might have a robe on, and that shows the magnificence and the grandeur of that king or that queen. But God's robe, it completely filled the temple. Just think of how magnificent that must have been and that vision that Isaiah had. And then there's these angelic creatures called seraphim. And it literally means, seraph Mean it says, burning ones. So what exactly they look like? We don't know. Maybe they were glowing here. But this is the only place that they're mentioned in Scripture. But even for them, the glory of God was so radiant that they, they had to take two of their wings and cover their eyes. And two of their wings, they covered their feet, and with two, that they, they flew. Now, covering their feet, maybe that was significant, and showing a sign of humility, Or showing that they were standing on holy ground. It reminds me of Moses in Exodus 3. Moses in the burning bush, when God speaks to him from that. And he's told to take off his sandal because he's standing on holy ground. And fire is the chief symbol of the holiness of God. We see it in different places throughout scripture. Now Moses at one point, he wanted to experience the glory of God in person. He didn't know what he was asking for, did he? In Exodus 33, 18, says, Moses said, please show me your glory. He's meeting with God, right, on the mountain, getting the commandments. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. There it is, Adonai. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy uh, on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place Uh, By me, where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. That shows us the holiness, the glory of God. Holy here means exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. In Isaiah 57, it says whose name is holy, so not only does holiness signify God, it's one of the names for God here. Think of Paul and Saul who became Paul and the road to Damascus in Acts 9. The glory of God was so bright, what happened? He was blinded for a few days. It would be like us staring into the sun. We're all told as children never to stare at the sun because it could blind you and This is what happened here with Paul. The glory of God was so radiant that it blinded him for a few days. And then the word holy is said three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You don't see this anywhere else in the New Testament, three times being said. Perhaps this is a reference or a nod to the Trinity here, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then it says the Lord of hosts. Here, Lord is different, isn't it? It has capital letters in each of them. L-O-R-D. This is a name for God, Yahweh. I am who I am. So when we say things as people, like the man upstairs, or Jesus is my homeboy, we trivialize the holiness of God, don't we? Because it says the whole earth is full of his glory. So we want to look at God's glory in two different things. First, in creation. So not just the earth, but the universe in Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. It's all his. So not only do we see the holiness of God, but the bigness of God. Check out Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So we have the universe that God has created, the galaxies, the stars, the planets. It's been fascinating over the last year to see the different images coming up from the James Webb Telescope. They put other images from the past to shame. But we can see the glory of God in creation by some of these, the vastness, the bigness. One of the things I think about is the distances that we see in the universe, how big it actually is. So let's think about that for a minute. Let's talk about that for a minute. So if we were going to go on a journey today, take a spacecraft to the moon, it would take a couple of days, one to three days perhaps. Now we're talking about going to Mars in the next 10 years. We'll see what happens. But it would take anywhere from 150 to 300 days depending on where Mars is in its orbit. But if we were to go to the end of our solar system, it would take something like 40 years to get there. But what if we were to leave our solar system and just go to the nearest star, how long would it take? Some of you might know this, but it would take something like 80,000 years to get just to the nearest star. What if we were to leave our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and go to Andromeda or a different galaxy? These numbers don't even make sense. They're unfathomable to, to us and our finite but it would take something like 749 million years to get just to the nearest galaxy. What if we traveled across the whole of the universe? (laughs) Any guesses? It would take perhaps 225 trillion years to get to the end of our universe. If you like light years, it would be a mere 94 billion light years to cross. So the distances are mind-boggling. We cannot comprehend it as human beings. About different sizes of objects in the universe. One of the biggest stars in our universe is uh, V.Y. Canis Majoris. It's a red supergiant, or some call it a hypergiant. It's one of the biggest stars in our galaxy. Again, we cannot fathom how big this object is. But if we're going to try, in comparison to our sun, You could fit something like 9 billion suns inside of Canis Majoris. It doesn't make sense, does it? What if you were to take a commercial airliner and fly around Canis Majoris? Something like we have, 35,000 feet flying around the surface. How long would it take to fly around this? It would take something like 1,100 years to fly around it. So again, this is unfathomable. We cannot comprehend such numbers in the universe and the size of things in the universe, but how much more is the glory and the grandeur of God who created these things? In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above shows his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So if you're ever feeling like a big deal, if you're feeling prideful, If you're feeling high and mighty, I would encourage you to go outside on a moonless night and just look up. Maybe go out in the country away from light pollution and just look up and feel small. This should humble us. This should help us to understand the universe does not revolve around us. It should cause us to praise In Isaiah 40, we see this of God. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. To whom then will you compare me then that I should be like him, says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, the stars, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. It's said that there are hundreds of billions of stars in just one galaxy. Perhaps there's 200 billion galaxies. That number is always changing. We don't know. But God knows each and every one of them by name. So God's glory in creation. But then also God's glory among the nations, among the peoples of this earth. And when we talk about nations, we're talking about people group. This comes from the Greek word ethne. So in one country like India, for instance, you might have something like 2,700 people groups that live there and that have different language and culture for each of them. But the Bible is full of references To God's glory among all peoples and nations. In Psalm 67, we see 11 times alone in just this one psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may, may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide uh, the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now this is a very missions-minded passage. John Piper wrote a book called Let the Nations Be Glad that is from this very passage. But in that book, he starts with this quote. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship of God doesn't. So that is what God wants for people of every tribe, tongue, and language to worship him. And one day there will be representatives from every tribe, tongue, and nation as we'll see later on. Psalm 96, likewise, a very missions-minded passage. Some call it the Great Commission of the Old Testament. If you've been going through the Bible reading plan, First Chronicles 16 follows right along with Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. We have t-shirts. You've seen those around here that people have been wearing. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him; strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. There must be a hundred verses or more just in the book of Psalms dealing with God's glory among the nations. Now, when I was working on my master's a couple years ago, one of our assignments uh, for my intercultural studies uh, classes uh, for my midterm and my final exam was just to find fifty verses in the Old Testament and fifty verses in the New Testament. And that was just a small representation of these verses that dealt with God's glory among the nations. So I want us to take a journey. We want to go on a little rabbit trail here for a few minutes to show God's glory among the nations throughout Scripture. <clears throat> and we see this starting in Genesis 12. So in Genesis 1 through 11, we have the creation, we have the fall, we have the flood, we have Babel, but not until you get into Genesis 12 with Abraham do you really get into the storyline of Scripture and what's happening here. So it says this in Genesis 12 if you want to follow along. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says it again in Genesis 18, again in Genesis 22 to Abraham. So our key thought from these passages, is this. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. God blesses his people to reach all peoples. So again, he does this with Isaac, his son. Genesis 26, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 28, Jacob Abraham's grandson. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. you beginning to see a pattern here? In Exodus 9, Moses and Pharaoh, God was speaking through Moses, and he says this, but for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. <clears throat> In 1 Samuel 17, right before David slays Goliath, what does he say? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Psalm 46, again, we see all over the book of Psalms. And maybe this is a favorite verse of yours. But there's two parts of it. We often quote the first part, be still and know that I am God. What does the rest of it say? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Isaiah 49, tons of scripture passage in Isaiah I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before his eyes, uh, before the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And Daniel 7, the prophet, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It continues on throughout the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zechariah 2, and my nation, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Wow, there's so much here, and then you get into the New Testament. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but you have the great commissions that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and then in Galatians three, Paul. Quoting from the Old Testament and the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So God blesses his people to reach all peoples. So when the Bible says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, this is what it means in creation and among all nations, among all peoples. So now let's get back to the passage, finally, in Isaiah 6, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Again, we see the references. We see smoke, we see fire, different things like that. Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them, the children of Israel, as he led them out of Egypt. He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Exodus Thirty-three. when Moses entered the tent the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses so here Isaiah is experiencing this in the throne room of God so when the foundations shake and the house fills with smoke there's this godly fear that comes over Isaiah and here's what I would say to you once you experience God's glory then you understand your own sinfulness which brings us to point number two Man's sinfulness. What does Isaiah say? He said, woe is me for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When he says woe is me as I am lost, he's also saying in other versions it says I am ruined or I am undone. It reminds me of Peter in Luke 5. What happens when he caught that miraculous catch of fish that Jesus told him to cast in a different location? Jesus comes to him and Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So Isaiah here, he's unable to worship until his sins are atoned for. Which brings us to point three, God's mercy. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. R.C. Sproul gives a brilliant message on Isaiah 6. And one of the things he says about this part of the passage is he says basically an angel is taking this coal and cauterizing the lips of Isaiah with his burning coal. It shows God's removal of sin, purifying him for worship and for service. In verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Which brings us to number four, man's response. After experiencing all that Isaiah did, he could do nothing other than to respond in the affirmative to God, right? He says, Here I am, send me. And God sends him to prophesy against Israel for their sins, as so many prophets did in that time. But right here in our response, this brings us right into the application for this message and the action steps that we can have. Likewise, all of us have been called to something as believers. We've all been called to make disciples of all nations, as we see in the Great Commission. Pastor Brian covered that well a few weeks ago, so I'm going to use a different passage, Acts 1.8. But this is where I get my philosophy of missions because there's something for everyone here. Because you might be thinking, oh, missions, that's just for young people or those who, you know, have more time on their hands and the energy to do those things. But we see here in Acts 1.8 that there is something for everyone who is a believer. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when you think about Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, these places for them were not that far so let's start with Jerusalem. For us, what would that be? I would see this as the areas of circles of influence that you have in your life. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your classmates, your teammates, your coworkers, the, thing, the people that you do life with, that you see on a daily or weekly basis, perhaps. Now, if we take seriously the first and second greatest commandment, we know that these are based on relationship. In Matthew 22, and he said, to, uh, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of those is loving your neighbor. These are the everyday encounters that we have with people. God has you exactly where you are for a specific reason, a specific purpose. If you don't like where you live, if you want to move away from this area, maybe God will grant you that prayer at some point in your life. But right now, this is exactly where he has you for a reason to reach people. And we must pray for opportunities to reach people and to have the words to say. I often pray this, and I encourage others to pray this. Ask God, who are you already working on? Whose life are you, you're blowing your, your spirit on that I can encounter and plant a seed and help them to grow, draw closer to you? So our Jerusalem, wherever we do life. What about Judea? I see this in our community, our region, the Quad City area. We have many Go Team partners. Some of those are pregnancy resources and Youth Hope. You can serve at those places. You can do evangelism. Some of our young adults have been doing that. Going to malls and parks and sharing the good news with people. You can go on prayer walks and ask God to show you if there are people that uh, he wants you to speak to. Us serving at the recent building collapse downtown Davenport. People going down there and praying. We had people from Edgewood going and serving meals to the workers down there. That's a way to reach our Judea. What about Samaria? Now, Samaria for the disciples, this was probably a day walk to get to a little further and different than they liked. But I see this for us as foreign but local or perhaps domestic type missions. And this is unfamiliar to us and hard for some of us. But we live in a day and age and a time when God is bringing the nations to us Not only can we go to them, but they're coming to us in droves. There's immigrants, there's refugees, there's international exchange students that we can reach. Some of these are our neighbors. Have you met them? Do you know their names? Are you getting to know them? We have an opportunity to reach our Samaria as well. And then, of course, the ends of the earth. This is where we think of foreign missions. We think of the global international scale. So in Matthew 28 When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he's talking about people groups here. Because there's more, we have 200 something countries, right? But there's like 17,000 people groups in the world today. Now these peoples, they encompass different groups. We have reached peoples. These are people who have access to the gospel through Bibles, Christians, and churches. Okay? Okay. So it doesn't mean that everybody is saved in our community, but everybody in our community has access. There's neighbors who are believers. They have access to Bibles that they can purchase. They could go to a church. And this is the same way around much of the world. They have access if they want to know more. But then there are some places there's not as much Christian witness, engaged peoples, areas where there are missionaries perhaps there, but not as many Christians. But perhaps there's at least one church there. But then we have the unreached peoples. This is areas in the world where less than 2% of the population is Christian. This is where we think of the 1040 window on the globe. Northern Africa, the Middle East, much of Asia. Most of these people have no access and don't know even one believer. And then there's areas of the world that have unengaged unreached peoples. And this is areas where there are very few, if any, believers at all. So if you think about that, and think about our role in reaching people, on one hand, you have the holiness of God that requires a response of repentance and surrender, just like Isaiah. And on the other hand, you have the need that requires action. We did a simulcast uh, last year called The Great Imbalance," talking about missions in the world today. There's lots of statistics here that I want to show you real quick. World population today is 8 billion people, but the unreached, remember less than 2%, 3 billion people. It's around 40% of the world's population. Again, there are 17,000 people groups, but the unreached people groups, there are 7,000 unreached people groups. Now, the number of missionaries sent from churches is encouraging. 400,000 are sent out. But the percent of missionaries working among the unreached, 3%. Now, giving to missions is a lot. By Christians and churches, it's $47 billion, but get this, the percent of missions giving that goes to the unreached, around 1%. Now why is that? If those are the places that need it the most, why is that the resources and the missionaries not getting those places? Well, it's because those unreached peoples are hard to reach. They live in tough regions around the world, in mountaintops and in jungles and in deserts, and For many of those places, the government does not want believers there. They're opposed to it. But this is where we can gain encouragement from the word of God and Jesus' words from Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, people groups, and then the end will come. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying it seems to me that he's not coming back until the gospel has been preached at least all places of the world. That doesn't mean everybody's going to believe, but we see in Revelation 5 and 7 that there will be representation from every people group in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, worthy you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, here's the vision from John. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There will be people from every nation, every people group represented in heaven. So the greatest mission, the greatest adventure that anyone could ever go on is bringing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into the folds of God's family. So on one hand, we have, again, the transcendence of God, the holiness, the glory of God, that we also know that God is imminent. We see that in Jesus when he came. In the form of man, he came to die for our sins because we needed a savior. We needed to be reconciled to God so that we can have a relationship with him and we can Join with him in eternity with all these people from around the world. So church, today, we don't talk about this to to guilt you, but to be in awe of God. Because here's what I would say to you. When you're in awe of God, you'll do anything for God. Once you understand who God is and all his glory and you understand the need, how can you not say, here I am, send me? Send me. So one of the ways that God has prepared me is not just a sender, but a mobilizer to help people to go. Our family has not felt that call that we are supposed to go to the ends of the earth at this time in our lives, but we want to be open to that if God should do that. But at the same time, we want to help others to go. We want to mobilize people. That's one of the things that we've been doing here with our youth and with our young adults working with Pastor Chris and Pastor Dan our missions pastors getting people on the field and their Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the ends of the earth. SW just returned from the Middle East. We're going to hear from her in just a few moments. EJ just flew to Central Asia. Will just landed in Germany. Nick is serving at Summit Camp in Colorado. Grant and Greta are up in Camp Forest Springs. Kira is at Pine Lake Camp. Keegan and Brianna, junior hires, are serving with Child Evangelism Fellowship with Don Wassel. So we have these opportunities for our youth and young adults, but God may be calling some of you to go as well. So I want to close tonight, with, or this, this morning, with some practical resources for, for research and prayer for you. So a couple places that you can go to learn more about the unreached of the world, go to stratus.earth. You can click on any country to learn about the needs there, why these people are unreached, how much of the gospel message do they actually have, how many believers are there, so you can do some research. Another one, the <clears throat> Joshua Project, does, has an app called Unreached of the Day. You can get a push notification sent to you, and it highlights a different unreached people group every single day from around the world that you can pray for, and that's one of the things that, that I get. Recently, we put this together, our Edgewood Go Team Partners directory. You all have been taking these. We have more of these available. has all our Go Team partners, uh, both local and to the ends of the earth, that you can take and pray for. Now, a year or so ago, we went to a conference called Cross for the Nations. This is a missions conference for 18 to 25-year-olds. And while there, I picked up a book called Amaze Them with God by Kevin DeYoung, And it seemed fitting uh, to close out uh, this morning by reading an excerpt from that because it goes to show the holiness of God. If we're going to reach people, we're going to reach the next generation. We don't have to do all these crazy things and we just have to show them who God is. But he says this, give them a God who is holy, independent, and unlike us, a God who is good, just, full of wrath, and full of mercy. Give them a God who is sovereign, powerful, tender, and true. Give them a God with edges, Give them an undiluted God who makes them feel cherished and safe and small and comfortable too. Give them a God who works all things after the counsel of his will and for the glory of his name. Give them a God whose love is lavish and free. Give them a God worthy of wonder uh, and fear, a God big enough for all our faith, hope, and love. Do your friends, your church, your family, your children know that God is the center of the universe? Can they see that he is the center of your life? We have an incredible, incredible opportunity before us Most people live weightless, ephemeral lives. We can give them substance instead of style. We can show them a big God to help them make sense of their shrinking lives. We can point them to transcendence instead of triviality. We can reach them with something more lasting and more powerful than gimmicks, gadgets, and games. We can reach them with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this time together. Lord, thank you so much for this picture and scripture that we have of you and all your glory and radiance and transcendence. And Lord, it should cause us to praise, but Lord, it should cause us to know and understand our own sinfulness. Lord, apart from you, we're nothing. But God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, Lord, where you meet us and you've given us an opportunity to know you, Lord. And God, I pray that none of us would say Thank you, Lord, for saving me, but I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to go, to say, here am I, send me, wherever that might be. Lord, I pray that you would work and move in here in the hearts and minds of our people. We ask all these things in your name, amen.